0: Welcome to She Leads. I'm your host, Thea, and I'm so glad you joined us today. This is a podcast about leadership, faith, and relationships, and I'm so thrilled to have my friend Jordan back for episode two um, to talk more about leading young people to Christ, and so, Jordan, you mentioned that you currently serve at Houston Revision mm-hmm. as well as a youth pastor at the Gethsemane campus mm-hmm. of St. Luke's. Um, anything else you want to add to your your intro and your bio? What's something maybe uh, we wouldn't expect to know about you? Ooh.
1: So I was just um, talking about this, but my undergraduate degree is in music education and vocal performance, and I never thought I'd be using those education classes there you ever. Go. And now my that degree is coming into play.
0: <laughs> Look how Jesus was working on you from the beginning. I know that's great. <laughs> that's great. All right. So this uh, conversation, I wanted to talk a little bit more about not just working with youth in, um, in, in. Crisis or in unique situations, but this idea of how are we going to lead young people to Christ? Mm. Um, what are how are we going to um, mm. usher in the next generation to know the gospel and yeah. to live by it? And so, first off, what are you seeing regarding young people? And their relationship or connection with the church with Christianity, mm-hmm. even Jesus mm-hmm. today um kind of from the front mm-hmm. lines,
1: yeah, so I think from the front lines, you have to start with the generation before the teenagers that we have, which is my generation, and we're all Gen Z millennials esque and you have to start with their the so these kids right now their parents. Mm. what was their relationship like with the church um now I work in a multi-faith community where there is a large mosque and I am not in the business of converting people from one faith to another. Um, But if there are people intrigued in the church, I want to share that gospel with them. Um, But you have to talk about how so many people from like in their mid-20s, early 30s, have been either unchurched or traumatized by the church. And so... They, as parents, are not taking their children to church, are not taking their teenagers to church. I'm a byproduct of that. Both of my parents were raised in abusive Christian households. And because of that, they did not want to take me to church, even though I always begged to go to church. Always. And finally, I got plugged in, and I saw why they would be afraid. And I think teenagers... Now, teenagers and young adults, people in their early 20s, are seeing the ways and a multitude of ways in which the church, the church, not holy church, but the institutional church, has harmed people. And they are skeptical about it. And they don't know how to trust it. And what I'm finding with a lot of teenagers, it's either in the busyness of their lives, that they don't want to prioritize a faithful community, And they've been taught that that's not important and it's reinforced by the history of the church's way of treating teenagers and young adults. And so we have to break down those barriers. I think as a church, as pastors, as congregations, we have to listen. That's what I always talk about. Listen to these teenagers and what they say and start building fruitful relationships with them. Start talking to them about the God that we believe in who isn't necessarily the God that abuses because it's not that God. Yeah,
0: I love that you started with, well, we got to talk about these kids' parents, right? Um, I come from family ministry as well, um, and I I firmly believe in what, what I learned in my education class. My undergrad is in early childhood education, and what I learned is no matter what you do, in the best classrooms with the best teachers and the best practices, those kids got to go home. Yeah. And when they go home, that's where they're either confirmed or denied, whatever they learned that day. Exactly. If, if, if mom and dad have different beliefs and different practices and different ways of interacting with the world than whatever they were taught, then the teacher is wrong. Yeah. Um, now I do believe that those teachers can make a difference over time, but but you have this those kids kind of battling that. And, it's, and I think it's exactly what you're saying now too. So I can come to church camp, I can come to VBS, but I'm going to go home and if mom and dad have no belief in God or whoever my caring adults are at home, yeah. then that's the truth, right? And it's going to take so many more of these experiences on the outside to change that. And so it's interesting to think about how now – like you mentioned, millennials are the least church, right? We're less than 50%. More yeah. claim non, saying no religion, no interest. And, and the children they are raising are going to have a completely different yeah. understanding of of faith and Christianity and, and even Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're just not experiencing mm-hmm. the same way that you and I and our generations may have Um they have experienced it.
1: And that reminds me of, so the orange curriculum, which is a child curriculum, I would argue it's one of the best. Agreed. For, <laughs> if you are looking for a curriculum to teach Jesus to kids from, I, like it's like age two to 12th grade. Yeah. It follows them. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's called orange, I was talking to someone about this last week, is because the church can be yellow and the parents are red. And it comes together to make orange. But the parents have so many, like, more hours. Mm -hmm. Whoever these kids are with consistently have so many more hours than we do. And even if the children that I work with don't have caring adults at home, either mom and dad are working three jobs because they're refugees, Mm -hmm. or these children are in the prison system, and in the state of Texas, Mm -hmm. minors are usually locked up between 20 and 22 hours out of the day, Mm -hmm. which is dehumanizing. And that's just going to continue to put them into repetitive, negatory behavior. Yeah. Or you have the kids who are homeless. Mm-hmm. There's no consistent adult in their life. And so revision is the only consistency. These, mm-hmm. The Gethsemane, the church I serve, is the only consistency that shows up every day without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But it's harder now more than ever when every kid has a phone. Every kid has Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, and yes, those t- those are tools that can be used to help educate and grow communities. Yeah, and they're also tools that twelve year olds now have access to, which they shouldn't. That's because mom and dad and caring adult aren't around. Mm. And so, what does it mean to help foster love and growth and care to those kids? And I see this a lot, especially with our teenagers who come on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. Their parents, most of my teenagers who come on Sunday mornings are children to refugees. Their parents don't know that they're on social media. Mm -hmm. So I have to have these conversations with them with saying, it's not safe for you to be acting like that. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your overall well-being. And how does that relate to Jesus Christ? How does caring for your body, for your community, relate to loving God? Mm -hmm. Because these kids are being Americanized in a way that is sometimes unhelpful, Mm. sometimes in a way that is pervasive and harmful and dehumanizing of children and makes them adults more early than they should be. And what does it mean to say Jesus wants you to be a child right now? Mm. Jesus wants you to learn about peace and joy and love right now. Yeah, and that's all it is.
0: So talk to the other youth pastors out there. Talk to pastors. Talk to parents who have young people that they want yeah. to lead to faith or share in faith um, as adults um, with this. Um, with the faith and wanting to share that with young people, with the future generations, Uh um, what steps do we have to start to take? How do we lead that? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Again, it all goes back to the listening piece. Um, St. Francis of Assisi says, Assisi I believe, he says, um, preach and whenever necessary use words. Mm -hmm. And that is my main motivator at St. Luke's Gethsemane is that I might not talk to them directly about, well, Jesus said this today, but I might say, well, how can we be more empowered to love our neighbor? Mm -hmm. How can we be more empowered to love ourselves? And that is through God. Mm -hmm. And it starts with listening and we can't force the gospel upon people. And if it's a forced gospel, I would argue it's not the gospel, right? right? So, It starts with hearing their stories, hearing where they're coming from, what is happening in their lives, and actually paying attention, giving time to the children, showing up for the children. Me being a good youth pastor means I'm going to be sweating my butt off at two soccer games tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and I know I will be. Mm -hmm. It's also going to mean me going to birthday parties and showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These kids need, don't need more absent adults. Mm-hmm. They don't need more teachers that don't really care. Mm-hmm. They don't need parents that are on their phones all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't need absent adults. They need adults who are going to pay attention to them because you are never going to grow your child in the faith You're never going to grow any children in the faith if you're absent, if you're uncaring and you're unwilling to listen.
0: Yeah. I read in uh, Kendra Casey's Dean, Casey Dean's book, Almost Christian, that uh, the strongest indicator of a young person's faith is their parents' faith. Yeah. And that, um, I don't know, I'm probably making this statistic up, but 80% of adults who have faith, it's because of their parents' faith. Or... But so the those who came to faith on their own, which you and I did, right outside yeah. of our parents' own faith, is actually the anomaly. And then mm-hmm. it's it's most are and and so if, if that's true about having a faith, I would argue it's true about not having a faith, right? Correct. That for the most part, you're going to adapt the belief systems um, of the people in whom you are around and who you're being raised by, right? Or I could even argue in this day and age, what you're consuming on. Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. What you're consuming and what you are, how are you prioritizing your time? In the home? Are you going to soccer practice on Sunday mornings? Mm -hmm. Are you a go, go, go family? It doesn't necessarily mean because you've been traumatized by church or hurt by religion that you need to step foot in a church automatically. But you also need to be present. You can't just be the go, go, go family and expect your child to be well-rounded, to be well-developed. And it works the same at revision and Gethsemane. Like I could be the absent youth pastor. Mm -hmm. I could be the person that's on her laptop or her phone all the time. And the reason tasks don't get done for me oftentimes is because I'm prioritizing those kids. Yeah. Yeah. When a kid looks at me and says, "Miss Jordan, can we go walk around the corner and talk at the picnic benches? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't care what you're pausing me from. Yeah. It's, y- yes, there are always going to be tasks. There are always going to be things adults need to get done, mm-hmm. but none of those tasks are as important as the formation of these children and teens because if they're not formed by the adults in their life be it parents, teachers, caring adults, counselors, POs, all adults that are representative of my kid's life, Mm -hmm. what are they going to be shaped by? Mm -hmm. They're going to be shaped by social media. Mm -hmm. They're going to be shaped by trauma. They're going to be shaped by the arguments they hear in school. And they deserve, these kids deserve to be heard and loved Mm -hmm. instead of just herded around like cats. Forced to do every activity or no activity.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's good, and you know that's something I think we're seeing even with people my age, their parents who people my age who are not in church, who don't have a faith or have a nominal, very nominal faith, and their parents say, "Well, I brought them to every church event. They went to summer camp their whole life. They we were in church every Sunday." And my question tends to lean toward, well, what kind of conversations are you having at home? What kind of, where were you revealing your faith out loud? Where did you allow your children to see you wrestle Mm -hmm. and to doubt? And you talk about church hurt, you know, our conference, our denomination is facing a lot of hurt. And there's a lot of families who are, who are hurt by, uh, by pastors and by situations and situations. Luckily, right now, being the only United Methodist from Clear Lake to Sugarland, we're welcoming those, those families yeah. who are looking for a United Methodist home but coming from some real trauma. And my greatest, uh, uh, you know, offering I can say is just r- let your children know about this because to see their kids hurt because they don't really understand. They don't, yeah. they weren't, you know, um, they didn't see the politics and mm-hmm. what was going on. But to tell them, like, Don't hide the fact that you're struggling with this. Let your kids in to know. Because this, my hope would be, so when they're hurt by the church, when the church fails them, because it will, they won't be so shocked.
1: Vulnerability is key. Vulnerability is so key, which is one of the reasons why I'm a pastor is because, so a story. My um, mom's best friend, I call him my Uncle Blake. He was queer. He is queer. He is a gay man and he lives with his husband in Chicago. And he was raised in a quote Christian end quote home. Went to the church that I started going to when I started going to church. And when he came out to his parents at the age of sixteen, mom and dad made him sleep in a tent in their backyard until he turned eighteen, then they kicked him out. That's not Christian whatever your perspective is on queer marriage, be it conservative or progressive, you can admit that that's not Christian. And if you think that's Christian, then we don't believe in the same God. And that is the God that has been taught for so long to so many of these kids, to so many of the kids that are our age even. It's like, yes, we took them to church, but what gospel were you teaching them? Was it the gospel of control or the gospel of grace and love? And were you vulnerable with your kids? Were you honest with them? Something I I don't like being vulnerable with people. We all know this. I love keeping things to myself. And whenever my mom passed away, I noticed that I had to be vulnerable in order for other people to share their stories with me Mm -hmm. as a pastor. And as parents, as adults, as people in this world fostering young ones, because no matter who you are, you are able to touch a child's life for better or for worse. You have an impact on a child somewhere and you don't even know it. What does it mean to be so vulnerable with them that they trust you, that they care? And it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. But it has to happen. Yeah. And it starts in the home. And if you are a parent, it starts with having hard conversations yeah. about faith, about the struggle.
0: You said it has to happen. Tell me why. Why? Why do we need to worry about these young people's faith? Why does it matter?
1: Because the world would be more evil without it. Mm. We already know what we are seeing the pattern of separation, of isolation, and of how it is affecting communities. People don't talk to their neighbors anymore because they have tall, white picket fences. That's isolation. That's separation. We are so politicized that we separate ourselves from any other type of belief. And that causes harm. All of these things that foster hyper-individualism to the point where you cannot care for your neighbor causes harm regardless of your faith. And the faith says, the church says, it's supposed to say no. My sister is my sibling in Christ. My person who does not believe in Jesus is my sibling in Christ. Demonstrating for these children that the person with a different political ideology is our sibling in yeah. Christ. All of these things, it is a demonstration of faith, whether or not you have it, of trust, of caring in a world that is telling you not to prioritize just your family unit, don't care about anyone else. These kids have to see that we are all connected. And in order to grow the faith, in order to grow as a Christian group, in order to grow disciples and for Jesus Christ, which I imagine a lot of parents who listen to this podcast are trying to do, in order to do that, it starts by saying, how am I maybe even failing the gospel? It starts with a humble perspective. How am I failing the gospel and how can I become a more loving parent? a more loving person Mm. because kids see everything we do. Mm. They see when we get mad. Mm. They see when we're tired. They see when we're listening versus when we're not actively listening. They see everything. They see the way you talk to your waitress. They see the way all of these things, right? And they will reflect that in their personality. So if you're trying to grow a disciple if you're trying to foster hope, if you're trying to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to go and live that out, then you have to be willing to say, Where am I not living it out? And how can we do this more together?
0: Yeah. I always just remind people if you want to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. Amen. Right. Which doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean no. you're perfect. It means that you're continuing to strive to follow Jesus, to learn, to get to know him more, right? Exactly. To, to, to read his words, to meditate on them, to pray, to surround yourself with others who are also striving for that. Um, what would you say? How how do you think the church might be changed by by youth today? Um, this this next generation of faith. How might the church be changed? Even what do you? How do you hope it's changed?
1: So at Saint Luke's Gethsemane. We have this thing on um, the fifth Sunday, whenever they happen, called Kinship Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it is where our Hispanic service, our um, Baragumu, our African service, and our English service all come together and create a worship space. Mm -hmm. And the primary leaders of worship for the Conganese African service and the Hispanic service are teenagers. The teenagers are the ones leading. And the church should be changed by letting young people lead. Not young people like me in my 20s leading, but letting the five-year-old who's going to stutter read the scripture. Letting the 18-year-old who kind of knows what she's doing preach. The church is transformed through Jesus and by Jesus and with Jesus. And Jesus prioritized the children. He prioritized the vulnerable. He prioritized the weak in all of his actions. And the church has to catch up to that. We have to catch up to that gospel. We have to share the pulpit. We have to listen to their ideas. Because the ideas that the children have, that's what's going to change the world yeah not the ideas of 20 something years ago not even my ideas yeah but it's what what does the 12 year old have to say about the church how can that transform and sometimes it's silly like you need to give us talkies on sundays miss jordan (laughs) but also sometimes it's like can i pray today yeah
0: yeah that's funny because it just made me think last night i had a worship design team meeting and we planned out i think it's going to be an excellent back to school Sunday it's gonna uh-huh. be so fun and so kid focused it was planned by a bunch of 30 and 40 year olds I mean what do we do yeah <laughs> you know and I and and I kind of didn't even at the moment think about it I mean mm-hmm. I told them like break down everything we've done before you know let's blow it up let's completely really dream and I think we had a really we have a really great idea but we didn't ask one kid yeah who the day is for yeah even what they think, much less, how do you want to be involved? Exactly. So, yeah, we're, we're failing. We're, we just got a lot of work to do, and I, I, I would 100% agree that um, the way we reach young people mm-hmm. is let them in.
1: The youth director at um, St. Luke's Westheimer said to me a few weeks ago, he said, if you're not forming leaders, you're forming the unchurched. Yeah. If you're not raising leaders... And not every leader has to be a pastor. Not every leader has to want to get up on a stage on Sunday morning, but all disciples are leaders for Christ. I agree. And if we are not fostering leadership and empowering leadership, the church is going to die.
0: Yeah. Or morph into something we can't recognize. Exactly. You know, and that's, I would which argue, is its own. Death. Yeah. What I would argue is just, is my hope, right? That, yeah. um, that, The young people who do catch the spirit—I mean, uh, who who are moved—and that that they just that they do take over, and they just do a way better job than we have. Oh gosh, please do kick me out,
1: please. Just you do it better than I do.
0: Yeah, come and show us the real way. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, What would you say is one step a leader can take today to to lead people to to lead young people to Christ? Um, what's the one step?
1: Make an invitation to gather at a space, maybe not the church, maybe not the big building, Or the, but the coffee shop, the boba shop, whatever the kids are into nowadays. Make an invitation to say, we're going to go here from this time to this time, and we're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about what it means to have faith and we're going to be vulnerable with one another. Create a brave space for them because they might not have that space yet. And if one child shows up, it's a win. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Thank you again for joining me today. How do people connect with you? Um,
1: you can find me at Houston revision um, almost every day um, and on our website and Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook um, at Jordan seekus and on Instagram and Twitter at Jordan
0: seekus Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, tuning in. I'd love to hear your comments and your feedbacks. Feel free to send uh, an email to she leads comments at gmail.